We turn then in God's Word this morning to the book of Exodus, chapter 15. Exodus, chapter 15, as we continue our theme or our sermon series on trees of the Bible. We began back in Genesis with God's creation of the trees on that third day, and in particular, His creation of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. The last couple of Lord's Days, uh, we have considered the Oaks of Mamre out of uh, Genesis chapter 18. We're now skipping ahead uh, to the book of Exodus. We'll be looking at uh, this morning uh, the bitter water and the tree that is associated with it. And uh, this evening from Exodus chapter 25, we'll be looking at uh, the wood of the tabernacle and the lessons uh, that God speaks through that as well. This morning, though, Exodus chapter 15. The context as we begin is they've just crossed the Red Sea. The people of Israel have been delivered, and uh, Moses, and you'll note, the people of Israel sing the following. Let's read then God's breathed out word to us. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury that consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy says, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. And all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign 
forever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took up a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God. And do that which is right in his eyes. And give ear to his commandments. And keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer and ask for God's blessings upon it. Father, we thank you so much for this passage of scripture. We pray that our... our that you bless Pastor Bob as he delivers his message to us, and we pray that you bless us as we listen to it. And Father, no matter how many bitter waters we run to, into in our life, let us never forget that you are the only one that can t change those bitter waters into sweet ones. That's all we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So three things this morning. The context of our passage. Secondly, the concern that we come to in this passage, and thirdly, the cure. The context, the concern, and the cure. Well, if we set it in its broader context of the book of Exodus, the people of Israel are in captivity in Egypt. Most of us know the story of how Genesis ends with Joseph uh, uh, being the ruler of Egypt, the people of Israel have come down because of the famine, and there they stay. But over the course of some 400 years, the tide changes. The people of Israel become captive. We know about uh, the killing of uh, the infants. We know of the drowning of the baby boys in the Nile. It is in the midst of that slavery, that oppressiveness, that the people of Israel cry out, and God provides them a deliverer. Their deliverer is Moses, who he calls out of that burning bush. And there God's power is displayed. Prior to what we have read have been the ten plagues. God's mighty hand. God's wondrous works. 
that have been performed, each one bringing about devastation upon Israel's enemies and God showing his love and care and concern for his own people. And then God delivers Israel. He delivers them through that that tenth plague, that great Passover. I thought about preaching uh, about the blood upon the doorpost, but as I reread the story several times, uh, it doesn't mention that the doorposts were wood, although it most likely was and probably was, uh, yet Scripture doesn't mention that. Um, They could have been stone, they could have been cement as well of some form, could have been bricks as well. So I thought probably better not go there as uh, that would take us past the the bounds of Scripture. But yet that's the way in which God delivered them, right? They were to put blood upon their doorposts. They were to take that Passover lamb, slay it and take that blood and with a hyssop branch, put it upon their doorpost and then that night the angel of death, God's angel of death, passes over all those homes that have the blood upon those, that doorpost. Certainly a reminder to us, is it not, of Jesus Christ as our Passover lamb. And as we reflect upon uh, celebrating together the Lord's Supper next Lord's Day morning, we can uh, truly reflect upon the one who is indeed our great deliverer, the one whose blood has been given so that we might also be delivered from that angel of death. So that's the context. That's where we are. They've been delivered. As I mentioned before reading Exodus 15, they've crossed over the Red Sea, even as the psalm of Moses here indicates. They walked across on dry ground. Pharaoh and his host come after them, and the waters come back. And the people of Israel are safe. So that's where we pick it up, our text for this morning at verse 22. Moses takes them now from the Red Sea into the wilderness of Shur. And they come to the waters of Marah. It's been three days, the text tells us, that they have been without water. And that three days is indeed significant. Science tells us that generally speaking, that is about the extent to which human beings can go without water. Three days. Those of us who have been at the deathbed of a loved one in those last and final weeks and days and hours know how that oftentimes is so true. Now, it's a general rule. It's not a hard and fast rule. But it reminds us that they're coming to to their end here. It's been three days. They have had no water. And they're, they're not traveling, you see, in some nice, calm, cool climate. They're out in the midst of a desert. It's hot. They've probably been perspiring out as well. They need water. But there is none. For three days, they are without it. 
And then when they do find some, what happens? Verse 23, they came tomorrow. And they couldn't drink it. There is water. There's water there, and you can almost imagine these people as they're walking, right? And somebody cries out, perhaps uh, one of those who went forward cries out, there's water, there's water. And you probably almost see people starting perhaps to run towards it. And as they bend down and begin to lap it up, they're spitting it out as fast as it's coming in. It's bitter. It's bitter. And as I was thinking about this, I was, I was thinking, I'm not quite so sure exactly what, what bitter is. I know what sour is, right? You, you take a, a lemon and you squirt it in your mouth. You know it, that, that's sour. But what is bitter? Well, some of you perhaps have maybe taken a little dash of cocoa and put it on your tongue, and you, you know that that's a, a different sensation than is sour. Or perhaps uh, you so like coffee that you've actually eaten a coffee bean or two in your lifetime. And uh, you, you kind of get that idea of, of a bitterness as well. Or perhaps there's other things that you can think about that, that reflect that. It's not a sour. I, I told Sandy, I, I said it's almost like sour is the wet. But bitter is that without the wetness. It's that without the moisture. It's a dryness. And yet it's, it's no good. I remember a number of years ago when I was a little kid, uh, we were going for a ride one day. It was probably a Saturday afternoon, and we were probably going to end up at Elms at the end of it. But we were out in this neck of the woods, and we were at 24th Avenue and 10 Mile Road. And there's a little schoolhouse there, and there's an artesian well. Okay, And uh, my dad pulled off to the side of the road, and he said, oh, go get a glass of water from that artesian well and drink it. This is, this is really good water, Robert. So I, of course, ran over there with a cup and put the cup under and took a big swig, and that was the foulest, foulest water I've ever had. But I wouldn't call it bitter. It just stunk, okay? It just stunk. I believe that artesian well still flows. I think they've relocated it but it's still there to this day. But it's that, oh, I want water. There's water, there's water. And then you, you taste it and it's, oh, this is not what I was looking forward to. This is what they find. After three days without, they now come to Tamara. Bitter. You remember the character in Scripture in the book of Ruth by the name of Naomi, whose life is hard, whose life is difficult. They have to leave Israel, or she and her husband choose to leave Israel because of a, of a famine, and then they go to the land of Moab, and there her husband dies, and then her two sons die, and she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, 
My life is nothing but bitterness. It is nothing but aches and pains and hurts and difficulty and struggle. Why did she call herself Mara? Because the word Mara means bitter. That's why this place is called Mara. And what happens? What does the text tell us took place then? Verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses. What shall we drink? They grumbled. They, other versions use the term murmured. They're talking under their breath. Right? To, to murmur is not necessarily to be outspoken. It's, it's to grumble. It's what uh, sometimes your children do when you tell them and give them a task. And they walk away and you can hear them muttering. Right? <clears throat> under their breath. You know they're upset. You know they're complaining. You can't quite distinguish it. They're murmuring. Some are more outspoken. Complaining is another word that we could use to, to translate the Hebrew here. They complain. They step forward. They speak. What shall we drink? It's a challenge. It's a challenge to Moses. It's a challenge to Moses' position. It's a challenge to Moses' authority. This isn't the first time. We go back to Exodus chapter 5 when Moses first went to Pharaoh. Demanded, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, these people got too much time on their hands. Double the work. Make it harder. Make it more difficult. By the time Moses and Aaron get back to the leaders of Israel, they're standing there already angry, upset, muttering, complaining, murmuring. What are you doing to us? What are you doing? Well, they're delivering you. But that's not what they see, right? The people grumble. But, you know, put that in its context. They've been delivered. They've been delivered from slavery. They've been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. Where's that? Where, where is that in their recollection box? Where, where is that in their minds at this point in time? It, it's all to the side, isn't it? The present situation that they are facing is overwhelming the greater truth that God has delivered them. And they have seen repeatedly God's mighty hand. Right? Great things he has done. Just days before, just three days before, They had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Not a mucky ground, not one that they had to pull their feet out of the mud. It was dry. And the one they feared the most, Pharaoh, and his chariots and the horsemen, 
are dead. They had seen God's mighty hand. But four or five days prior to this, when the angel of death went over Egypt, and there is a cry coming out of those Egyptian homes, the cry of loss of that eldest male. But they, who have blood upon their doorposts, are safe. The darkness over the land of Egypt, yet light in the land of Goshen. The hail, the flies, the gnats, God's mighty hand. And yet here they are, three days up. Bitter water, and they grumble. But you know what's even more remarkable? Is God led them there. This isn't an accident that they're at Mara. This isn't Moses lost his way. This isn't, man, oh man, I, I thought I had this tract. I thought I knew the way. I thought I, I was on the right way to, to, to the place where there was good water. And, and now, boy, the markings have changed. He's a guy, remember? He thinks he knows. He didn't consult the map. Now, this isn't that case. God led them there. God brought them to Mara. How do I know that? God's word tells me. Go back to chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Find, verses, uh, find verse 21. It's right at the end of the chapter, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Who took them? Day one. The Lord. Who took them day two? The Lord. Who took them day three? The Lord. And where does the Lord lead them? Through the waters of Mara. He leads them to bitterness. See, we, we can't excuse this. We can't look at this any other way. God leads. But his leading was not, first of all, to Elam. His leading, first of all, was to Mara. Was that an accident? No. No, it wasn't an accident. Was it unlucky? No, it wasn't unlucky. God led them on purpose tomorrow.
even though they've been delivered. Even though we could say they have experienced salvation. They have experienced God's grace. They have experienced God's mercy. Yet God leads them to Mara. Why would God do so? What are we told? Verse 25. They grumble against Moses. Well, not really, right? They're really grumbling against the Lord. They're grumbling against the Lord and using Moses as the excuse because they know Moses isn't leading them because they're following that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire. They know it's the Lord. But they're going to use Moses as the means by which they're going to complain. They're going to look at God's representative as the one. And think somehow they can skirt the responsibility of charging God. What are you doing to me, God? What are you doing to us? They grumble, really, against the Lord. What does Moses do? Verse 25. And he cried to the Lord. This will not be the first, this will not be the last time that we see this beautiful intercession of Moses on behalf of the people. Remember, we've been in the book of Hebrews, and what is the book of Hebrews all about? It's about that that work of Jesus Christ as, as the one who is indeed the great high priest, the one who is indeed the great mediator, the one who is the intercessor before the throne of God above. So we sang so beautifully and powerfully last Lord's Day. But Moses, you see, is that type of Christ. He's that foreshadowing of Christ. He's the one now who intercedes. He cries to the Lord. Why? Because he knows that the people's grumbling is going to bring about God's judgment. And so he intercedes for the people, crying to the Lord. And what happens? The Lord reveals something to him. What an interesting little passage, right? And the Lord showed him a log, or in some of your versions, a tree. What an interesting thing, right? Now, we're not told how he showed him the tree or the log. We're not shown how it was. Oh, did some ray of light come down and light up this particular? We don't know. But in some way, God directed Moses' eyes to see that which God wanted him to see. He revealed to Moses. Doesn't say he spoke to Moses. Doesn't say he called to Moses. It just says he showed to Moses. 
a log, a tree. Now, if you're from Moses' perspective, can, can you be thinking with Moses, yeah, what about it? There's a tree. There's a log. What's that got to do with my situation? What's that got to do with our circumstance? What does that have to do with my cry for mercy? What does that have to do with my cry for healing? What does that have to do with my cry for hope? This tree, this log. God showed him. And what happens? And he threw it into the water. Sometimes, to me, God's word is, is so interesting. Did the tree come with instructions? How does Moses know to throw the tree into the water? Why does Moses throw the tree into the water? What does throwing trees into water have to do with bitter water? In essence, nothing except, except the symbolism, right? Except the fact of this highly symbolic. And because it would never occur to any one of us, nor to Moses, to throw a tree into the water, we would have to say, this too was God's revelation. God reveals to Moses to take the tree and throw it in the midst of the bitterness. Oh, my friends, do you see what God is telling us? Do you see the beautiful foreshadowing that God is doing all through their journey? God placed before them reminders, foreshadowings of the coming of his son. What is it that we throw into the midst of the bitterness of our lives? We throw the tree. We throw the log. We throw the cross. It is when we place the cross in the midst of our sufferings. When we place the cross in the midst of our trials. When we place the cross in the midst of our bitterness. Only then and only then will there be sweetness. See, can't you just see a lot of those Israelites going, this guy's nuts. What's he doing? Why would you take a log and throw it into the water? What's he think that's going to do? And oh, my friends, how the world, how the world laughs at us and how the world scorns us and how the world mocks us. That we continually flee to that cross. That we continually go back to Christ and Him crucified. 
They're going, you, you just went through this hard and bitter time. And now you're, you're talking of Christ dying for you? What's that got to do with your bitterness? But you see, we know. We know, do we not, from the truth of Scripture. That it is that log. It is that tree. That takes the bitterness of death away. It is that cross that takes the hardships and helps us to understand them in the light of, I am always at work conforming you to the glorious image of my Son. It is that cross that reminds us, you meant it for evil, but God means it for good. It is that cross thrown into the midst of the bitterness of life, the hardships, the struggles, that bitterness that takes us to the point of, I don't know if I want to continue on, but it is the cross, it is the cross thrown into the mix. The bitterness and pain, physical, emotional, spiritual pain, it is that cross Thrown in that tree, that tree, the one tree that God showed him. Not any tree, that tree, the one specific tree. That is the tree that makes all the difference. How remarkable is it not how often we refer to that cross as the tree. The tree upon which Christ died. Upon which our Savior's blood was shed. It is that cross. God led them tomorrow. So that they might again see the beauty and the wonder of the cross of Christ. You may be sitting here this morning dealing with bitterness. You may be finding yourself in a bitter situation. Maybe it's been years coming. Maybe it's just been in the last few weeks. But God, but God is speaking to us this morning. He's saying, look to the cross of Christ, if you want to make sense of this bitterness, if you want hope in the midst of this bitterness, if you want peace in the midst of this bitterness, if you need assurance in the midst of this bitterness, then look to the cross. Look to Christ. For what happens? Verse 25, he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. The water became sweet. It's the same water. We didn't drain that pond. We didn't drain that spring. It's the same water. But the water 
is now sweet. The people can drink. The Lord led them. But notice also there the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. He makes to them a promise. We might say he makes for them a covenant. If then. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God. And do that which is right in his eyes. And give ear to his commandments. And keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. The covenant of grace, there it is. If you obey, then none of this will happen because I am your healer. But what have we been learning in Hebrews? That there is now a new covenant. A new administration of this covenant that is fulfilled by you and I? No, because we can't do this. We're only going to turn a few pages and they blow it again and there they are grumbling and complaining. We can't do this, but Christ can. You see, the whole passage keeps focusing upon Christ, the one who is indeed the covenant keeper, the one who has indeed kept all the law, the one who has indeed kept all the statutes, the one who has kept covenant perfectly, so that he is what? He is our healer. Healer not just from the bitter waters, but the healer from sin itself. Healer from the bondage, the slavery of sin. The healer who restores. And as we enter into covenant with Christ, by faith, through grace, where do we go? Where does God lead them? See, now the, the pillar and the cloud move. He took them to Mara, but now where's God take them? He takes them to Elam, a place. In the desert. That's what Elam means. A place in the desert. They're in the same desert. But notice what they find there. In the desert. No bitter water. What they find there are 12 springs. A spring for each of the tribes. They find there 70 palm trees. 70 representative of fulfillment. Of all that they need. God brings them to Elam. In our understanding in the New Testament, God takes us from the bitterness of Mara through the cross to the one who perfectly keeps covenant. To where? To glory. To Elam. Here. Now. Today. God has an Elam prepared. For you. God has a place in the midst of the desert of life. A 
place he desires to bring you. If you're in the midst of that bitterness today, look to that cross. Look to the Lord. Look to the one who is the healer. Look to the one who has perfectly kept covenant. And wait. The cloud, the pillar are moving. And God is bringing you to Elam in the desert. You see, that's what we do throughout this week. Throughout this week, we continually look to Christ, the one who has kept that covenant perfectly in our place, so that next Lord's Day, he brings us to Elam. He brings us to the oasis in the midst of life to feed us, to nourish us, and to strengthen us. Come. Come. And I will give you rest. And God's people say, Amen. Father, we thank you again for your word and for its reminder even here this morning of your plans and of your purposes. And oh, Father, what a blessing it is that we might sing in a few moments. Oh, blessed thought, he leadeth me. What a blessing it is to be led by you. Sometimes to the waters of Mara, but also to the oasis of Elam. In Christ's name. God's people again say, Amen.